Welcome back to Significant Watches. This is episode 24. Uh, this is Eric Wynn speaking. I am joined by my colleagues, Gabriel Benador. Hey, guys. Tony Trena in the Windy City, Chicago. Hey, Eric. Great to, great to be on the show. And my colleague, Charlie Dunn. Howdy. Great to hear all of your voices. Um, I thought we would start off. People have been enjoying the podcast reviews on Apple, and uh, I was somehow conned by the three of you to give out a Win Vintage honey strap to our favorite review per episode period. Um, I'll look forward to my Venmo payment for the strap from each of you, but uh, we've got a. <laughs> A review from A. Hantel, who I can only surmise might be the great at T Swiss T on Instagram, a doctor, a scholar, um, a father recently, and an amazing man who needs to follow at Strictly Vintage Watches. Uh, he's not following him for some reason, but uh, here we go. The title of the review is Quirky and Hand Finished like an early watch from a master. Now, the text. Have I listened to a podcast with more professional audio production? Yes. Does Gabe sound like an indie collector who lives in Connecticut? Probably a bit too much. Might Tony sell out after two weeks at Hodinkee? Maybe, but I won't ruin the season finale for you. How often is Charlie so uninterested in modern watches that you can hear him snoring? Episodically. Who is Eric Wind? A man, myth, and legend who no longer returns my texts. Is this the most consistently engaging watch podcast I've listened to? A resounding yes. Also, I just wrote this for the free strap. <laughs> A Hantel, reach out. Send me your address. <laughs> what your preference is on size 18, 19, 20, or 22, and we'll send you a honey strap. Only um, after you follow it on Significant Watches, though. On yeah, I gotta follow, gotta follow Significant Watches, our Instagram, and at Strictly Vintage Watches. <laughs> So, Gabe, what did you think of the horology forum made in New York? We saw you there. It was cool. It was, it, you know, I think there were a lot of different viewpoints. It was certainly interesting to hear the other panelists on their take. Um, I, I, I think I tend to agree a lot in general with your viewpoints. And, and I think it was sort of hard to debate the other side of that. So it was, uh, but there was, they, they tried. Um, so, you know, it was, was what it was, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tend to agree with you as market and uh, luxury tend to not go hand in hand um no i liked it and i thought the event as a whole was kind of a you know the whole i, I was only there on the saturday and i think it uh i think it was a cool it was just a cool event you know i, I like the meat packing in terms of neighborhood and you know they did it well um I saw Suzanne Wong did this cool uh, event there that with with uh, sort of blindfolding people and letting them feel the watches and see you know what they what they thought of it tactilely without actually knowing 
what it was with just hearing some of the descriptions of the watches and feeling them as opposed to, uh, you know, the, Ooh, this is made by X, Y, or Z brand. And this is that or that complication. Um, and I thought, you know, I, I didn't really get a push board from her for, about it, but she was explaining to me what, what the, what it was. And they had done a similar one apparently before and it was a big hit. So that sounded like a really cool event. Um, I didn't really stick around for many of the other ones because I kept running into people who want to have conversations that I hadn't seen since pre-pandemic. Um, so that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was well attended. Every event that I saw was overflowing, and there were a lot of cool people, a lot of nice conversations, a lot of uh, you know. There was the sidecar coffee machine, which was really cool. So that was you know a lot of yeah. a lot of cool things to it. Yeah, the uh, going back at the thirty thousand foot level, it was pretty pretty incredible event. Kind of came out of nowhere. Dubai Watch Week uh, has existed for seven years now. Obviously, based out of Dubai, sponsored by the Ahmed Siddiqui uh, and Sons, which is the retailer there for just about every brand uh, in the United Arab Emirates with a long history. Um, they put on an amazing event uh, in Dubai every other year. Uh, and it basically brings together a lot of CEOs of companies and a lot of other participants to Dubai. And is, you know, it's a very expensive endeavor for them to do. And now they have hosted this one in New York. They've done other regional horology forums or fora if you want to get technical uh but it is uh was very very cool it's their first time doing something in the united states most of the sessions were packed uh over the two days they brought a lot of different watch media people from around the world to attend uh it went by very very fast um we only wish Tony was there, then we could have done a uh, a live podcast. <laughs> I'll be there. Uh, you know, I don't want to flip the calendar forward, but we'll be there. I think at least I will, and maybe you guys too, for watch time and worn and wound uh, October twenty one to twenty three. So yeah, so maybe we'll circle that date potentially. Yeah, circle that date. Everyone should come. There's a lot of events uh, around that weekend, so make sure to come out. Charlie, what did you think of the Horology Forum? Uh, first of all, very well organized. Um, it seemed as though the staff at every single corner was aware of what was going on and who to kind of help get um, positioned or ready for the events, as well as kind of getting people, you know, adjusted to coming over and finding out the times, as well as um, having reservations on their phones. Or if you just gave them your phone, I'm sorry, if you gave them your name and email they they figured out everything quite quite rapidly so i mean that was cool to see it was m more often than not when you have an event and it's a watch related event the coordination is usually a little bit tough um and sometimes it's you know prepared last minute it didn't seem as though that they were phased by um all the people that were attending as well as people who were um, participating in the forum so that was really cool and um i i loved the fact that you know, a lot of my friends who are into watches are in New York. So I got to run into numerous, you know, collectors, people that I've been hanging out with for a few years, seeing them 
like for instance, James, um, at waitlisted, you know, I, I feel like I run into him in every single other country that I go to. So it was cool to, to catch him in New York and, and catch up with him about, um, you know, his recent, you know, gigs and, and check out his latest Mings. That was fun. I got to, um, you know, meet up with people that I've only known virtually and, or even have only crossed paths with one or two times. So that was kind of the biggest highlight of it. It was meeting new people as well as, you know, t- people came up and were just like, we love the podcast. And that's like always a very humbling thing. Um, like four or five people coming up and, and saying, are you Charlie? You know, I just really love the podcast. And, you know, you think like, okay, well, it's just something we're doing and, and putting out there and people are listening to it or whatever in their commute. But I mean, it, it's cool that people give it up and are, and are, you know, saying that makes them excited till, you know, when a new episode comes out. So um, that's always great. And then segueing into, you know, write a review, everyone. Don't just give us a star. Give us, you know, a review. It takes just a few seconds. I'm just disappointed that we've got about 50% ratio of people who have only left a star and haven't written more than two sentences. That's just, I don't know. That's just know. lazy. That's lazy. It's very it's like not lazy. setting the date on the watch. Just if you're going to wear it, maybe set the wear date. Wear it. Guys. Yeah. You got to go full date, man. Set, never set that perpetual calendar, guys. Come on, guys. Realistically. <laughs> now, the Dubai Watch Week was great. Um, was it difficult you. being famous, Charlie? Like with people it's, coming up to you? you know, was, it, was it hard? You, you, you make it happen. You know, you, just, <laughs> you deal with it. You know, people want to take pictures. You just you got to take pictures sometimes. Um, no, it's Charlie, fun though. Charlie's father was very happy. Charlie got a photo with uh, the legendary Peter Plains. Of oh the yes, Roadshow fame. And yes. his father oh, is my father. Huge. My father is a very big uh, awesome. uh, antique furniture collector. He loves his wooden chairs as well as his. Now, since he's relocated to England and has less space in his home, he's um, he's. He's decided to corner the market on decanters and other um, glass objects, I guess. But uh, we used to watch we used to watch Antiques Roadshow when I was about eight years old and older. I'd, I'd watch these uh, these Antiques Roadshows episode, and Peter Plains was always the guy on the show who was talking about watches. So he was um, he was freaking out. I got a photo with uh, Peter, and he was dressed the nine with a sick blue uh, suit and awesome orange uh, scarfs and, and, and pocket squares rocking like a, a platinum perpetual calendar padding. So. 70 EP yep. with the black diamond dial. Yep. Yep. So he was, he was rocking it and I was wearing a polo and, and shorts most likely, but my dad was freaking out and thought it was killer. So that was, that was a fun one. Um, he, and yeah. Uh, the last thing I wanted to say as well was to thank Hind Siddiqui and all the team there for inviting me and my uh, fellow panelists, Aldous Hodge, starring in Black Adam, coming out in a few weeks, and uh, Brandon Little of Shinola, and our wonderful moderator, Kara Barrett. Uh, that was a lot of fun. And I got to meet the great J.J. Owens. I've never actually met her. I feel like I've known her a long time. Uh, that was fun. Ming Lu, who's an amazing freelance writer based in England, she came over. Um, and Jeff Hess, who uh, I think I can break news, has recently put in notice at Phillips. We'll let him make the big announcement uh, next year about where he's going. But 
the legendary Manhattan Rolly himself uh, showed up, which was wonderful. Um, so yeah, it was. Uh, it went by really fast, but it was a wonderful time, and I had not met the great at waitlisted James before. Um, the wonderful James, he's such a friendly guy. It was such a pleasure meeting him. Gary Getz, representing the Bay Area uh, watch collectors, came over for Quill and Pad. It was, uh, yeah, it was a really wonderful event. Yeah, and you can see some of the highlights of, I guess, our watch spotting um, article. Uh, just took some flicks for the first two days, and um, they're on Wind Vintage. We'll link to it in the show notes. Check it out. Um, you'll see Jeff Hess's uh, asymmetric Cartier and Platinum. I really just, I just pray one day he's able to get the Ballon Blue of Rose Gold with the blue dial. That's just like... I just I felt I felt like okay he's 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 going in the right path he's you know getting some pieces but I just can't wait to one day see that watch on his wrist. I'm sure he'll get an allocation one day. What was the best watch spot for uh, for you, Eric? Um, Gary Getz was wearing a watch with his face on it, which he called <laughs> the greatest watch ever made on his uh, right wrist, along a honey split on the left. Uh, <laughs> so that was that was fun. Uh, JJ Owens wearing a Cartier Vacheron she bought for $200 at a garage sale uh, in gold <laughs> um, was also a nice spot um, yeah uh, Moser was there in strong force Bertrand uh, Melon had the streamliner in rose gold with the Vanta black dial uh, which was interesting uh, Barbara, Barbara had a sick um, Moser as well with a red dial but it had a really cool transformed um orange kind of hue when you would get it in certain lights that was a beautiful with a few man dial and the kind of officer's case that was yeah. actually a really sick moser i hadn't barbara noticed. palumbo at what's on her wrist um and uh jj wore uh, another very cool rolex as well i don't know if she's even necessarily posted it but it was very special um the stoch- well, the, I made the- it into your I made it into your highlight reel because uh, Suzanne Wong brought me a uh, Speedmaster uh, Ultraman from '68 that I had purchased almost four years ago and has been sitting in the Freeport. So she finally brought it to me, which was really cool. Uh, they put on this like quirky orange strap, but you know, it was a little bit past the Ultraman hype at this point. But very happy to have it and. Uh, when I looked at the papers, it was delivered to the U.S. Army, and so that's uh, so that's even cooler for yeah, you know, it's my like little not niche. too many yeah. Army issued uh, sold Ultraman watches yeah, look, out there. Look, look sick with the orange orange strap too. That was a nice one. Yeah, I kept it on the orange strap. I think it's uh, it makes quite a statement. Daniel Day Kim was wearing a Panerai which was a surprising choice, but looked cool on him. Uh, so that was nice. Yeah, it was a good uh, good group. Even at Quartz Crisis was rocking a Hamilton. Uh, and uh, a lot of interesting folks there. Uh, Tell Andrew, um, you know, maybe if Andrew's listening, pick up the next episode of uh, or issue of Hodinkee Magazine. I've got a nice article about asymmetrical watches and all of the innovations that Hamilton brought to the arena. It wasn't just... Patek Philippe and Gilbert Albert, but it was it was Hamilton too. So 
Is that article's for you, Andrew. Uh, what were you saying, Charlie? Are you going to have the cover, uh, the cover photo with the asymmetrical watch? Uh, no, it should have. I think we got, it may have been Jeff's platinum tank asymmetric that you just mentioned that we used for a photo shoot. It may have been his. I, I don't know. I'd have to ask Rich Ford and shout oh, out to man. him for, for helping us source it. Um, it's a shame. It's the, have the Ballon Blue. <laughs> it's the cover of the spread for this article. <laughs> By the way, the back, <laughs> the backstory on the Ballon Blue comment is I gave, we were giving Jeff some grief about that. But he did a famous little video, two minute or something like that video with Cartier recently. Yeah. <laughs> Check it out on his Instagram. But yeah. They filmed it like six months before that. And it was the most, you know, absolutely in depth kind of preparation, what practically down to like the length of his hair but like what exactly will you be wearing like all this sort of stuff <laughs> the clothes all this for like a two-minute clip what yeah, clothes what brands what size uh <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. will you be shaved all this sort of stuff and um they basically were like which models do you want to talk about and literally at the bottom of his list was the ballon blue and <sighs> then that's Maybe the they thought that because it was the bottom, that was his first choice, and it was in reverse oh, yeah. down order. <laughs> but they said, "Okay, you're going to talk about the ballon blue. <laughs> Which ballon blue yeah. do you want?" <laughs> so he was. Uh, he said, "As you do, if Cartier says uh, you're doing something, you do it." And it was uh, <laughs> good exposure for him. It was a sick video too, so we're giving we're giving him grief, but we all were secretly jealous and wanted to be on that. Oh yeah, on that sure. Instagram account for sure. Yeah. Crazy. So, you guys looking forward to anything coming up? I know Phillips had uh, the previews for Hong Kong Geneva. Um, Did you, uh, you go by? Yeah, I stopped by. Um, I looked at the Mark Cho collection um, of stuff there. Kind of impressed with with his taste. Um, it runs the gamut of raisons to classic things, and obviously the Moser. I really liked the Moser in person, um, and then got to see a lot of the cool stuff they had. The what is it? The third series twenty four ninety nine for Geneva with the black dial um yellow gold that's very striking in person um that should go for a crazy number obviously um there were a couple of other cool things you know they had a a nice tornic rayville um you know a couple of nice daytonas um you know the requisite amount of ap's mostly royal oaks um obviously a whole bunch of nautiluses but you know i think it's there's there's been some really cool pieces there um they have another 2526 what is it platinum with the with the uh with the diamond indices on it i think it's white gold yeah my boat yeah my boy gold i i don't i don't i didn't i didn't look but uh yeah i mean they're you know it'll be it'll be another probably record-breaking auction obviously they have uh you know the the daniels and all that stuff. So, you know, no surprise. There probably won't be very many good deals there, but uh, we will see. Um, should be should be a record breaker. And Hong Kong seems to be also having a lot of large quality there. So we'll see. 
uh, Christie's has the first Tiffany 5711 to hit the auction block since last December. Um, so that's going to be interesting. You know, does this thing go for 2.5 million, which is kind of where some people feel market is now? Does it go for 3.5 or 4, where some have traded this year? Um, it'll be uh, very interesting. If you had to make awesome. a bet, Eric, what's what's your number? I would be at three, probably all in, if I had to guess. But, um, you know, I think obviously the stock market's not been doing amazingly well. Historically, these sort of auction periods are a good buying time um, because people just are, you know, not spending on big, big watches in times like this. You know, I would say from a personal level, the stuff that's kind of six figures plus people are more cautious about buying one. The dollar has strengthened versus the Euro and pound and rest of the world currencies. So people are really saying like in Europe that they're not interested in buying from American dealers. Um, but you know, I think everyone has kind of a cautious wait and see attitude, uh, for, for what's going to happen. So, if there's a great big watch out there, this is probably a good season to buy it if you really like the watch. Um, I remember seeing this in the past when I was at Christie's and talking to people for the, the years before. If you have a little period of a dip, you know, it could be could be an interesting buying opportunity. Yeah, I'm going to be gearing up for a couple of things, but let me just say that if you're spending three, three million plus, the Tiffany 5711 is the best watch you could buy, hands down. No comment about that. So, you know, there's uh, nothing more technologically advanced. There's nothing rarer. There is nothing more special. There's nothing more unique. I mean, oh, and one other, yeah, one other good, uh, actually, auction result was the, um, the Cartier uh, Sheesh watch at Sotheby's Paris uh, sold for just over 1 million euros. Um, and that's, you know, continues with kind of record Cartier results. It's the first to sell at a, you know, prominent auction house in excess of a million dollars. Um, basically equivalent. I guess a little bit less now for the dollar versus euro exchange, but at that sort of level, pretty incredible. Um, what did you think about it? Our resident Cartier expert, Tony. So second most expensive vintage after, Cartier ever. After, is that after, right? After, after the crash crash. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it seems cool. It seems like kind of an acquired taste, right? But there's only three of them or something, right? That they were, you know, and this one was given to the guy who won the Cartier Challenge or whatever it was called for the race to Dakar. And didn't he, wasn't the story like he won it the first year of the, the, the Cartier Challenge of winning it two years in a row, which kind of makes you think that like maybe the Cartier Challenge wasn't that hard to win after all. And, you know, there would have been more of them if not for uh, what occurred after that. Um, you know, maybe there could have been 20 or 30 cheeches. I don't know. Um, but it's like an acquired taste. I talked to to Logan at Hodinkee who was able to see it in person and he said something about how 
intricate the gold work was and all of that type of stuff with all of the, you know, the folded turban work on the case and, and whatever else was going on there. I don't know. It seems cool to me. It's not my, it's not where I would spend a million dollars, but from what I understand, uh, someone who's pretty into Cartier, uh, bought it. Uh, so, you know, congrats to them. It'll, yeah, it's, it'll be interesting. I'm sure we'll see it on Instagram soon. Um, yeah, but it was uh, props to Benoit uh, Colson of Sotheby's. That was their first uh, Paris watches sale in a long time. Uh, they did it online only, so you don't get the excitement of seeing an auctioneer at the rostrum gaveling it. But very impressive auction. Great for Benoit. He's trying to build watches in Paris, um, which is good, you know, for the watch market and hopefully find some amazing pieces that are hidden away in uh, Paris jewelry drawers as a result of uh, some of this press. There's obviously some amazing watches around Paris, so uh, wishing him all the best. Should we leave it there for this episode, guys? I think we covered a lot of ground. I think, we, I think we'll call it a successful episode. Last uh, shout-out for Strictly yeah. Vintage Watches. There's a wonderful article on the Jaeger Ultra. Rue de la Paille uh, clocks by Troy McHenry. Um, so check it out. A very interesting, very interesting look and a lot of original primary source kind of ads and documents, which is awesome to see. Shout out to cool. Tony Trainer for sending that article my way. I appreciate that. Anything to support Strictly Vintage Watches, which is, you know, now my favorite watch newsletter in the business. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, hope to see many of you in October, that period, 21st, 22nd, 23rd, the wind-up watch fair uh, and the other things going on around that time um, would be, we'll be, we'll have to get like a group shot. We've actually not, all four of us haven't been in the same location before since the podcast started last year. I don't know if we need to have a designated survivor in case uh, maybe someone <laughs> takes us out, but uh, but maybe we'll do a group shot and hang together for two minutes before we go our separate ways for for uh, you know survival of the podcast. <laughs> and two minutes is all Eric can bear in a room with all of us together. An undisclosed location. We'll get it on. Uh, we'll have to get the photo on Getty Images. It's a very historically important photo. Uh, so, that's awesome well thank you so much to everyone for listening this is episode 24 of significant watches and i uh, hope to talk to you soon